Welcome to EquiManagement's podcast, Disease Du Jour. For each podcast, we'll delve into the research and current best practices for a variety of equine health problems with industry experts. I'm your host, Kimberly S. Brown, publisher of EquiManagement. Today's guest is Dr. Robert Holland, a private practice veterinarian in the Central Kentucky area, focusing on respiratory problems and infectious diseases. Dr. Robert Holland is known around the world as the person you call on when you have an infectious disease and you don't know what to do. He has worked globally consulting with countries and jurisdictions to contain and prevent the spread of disease. He has worked domestically with USDA and many state veterinarians. His practice is focused on respiratory disease, allergies, and infectious disease in the public and private sectors. In his early years of practice, Dr. Holland had the unique opportunity to conduct endoscopic examinations on hundreds of horses at the racetrack during the sponging scare, and we'll talk about that in a minute. It has given him a unique knowledge of the anatomy of the equine throat that very few veterinarians have. Quality disinfection to prevent the disease spread is another area of expertise for Dr. Holland. He has studied disinfection protocols in both animal and human medicine, and he's adopted the best protocols for the equine environment. Dr. Holland received his Doctor of Veterinary Medicine from Mississippi State College of Veterinary Medicine in 1994, and he received his PhD in Veterinary Medicine Virology at the University of Kentucky Gluck Equine Research Center in 2001. Thank you, Dr. Holland, for joining us today on Disease Du Jour to talk about respiratory tips from the field. Thank you, Kim, for inviting me today. So let's start right in on something that we mentioned in your bio, sponging racehorses. What was that all about and what were you doing professionally at the time that made you get involved? So At that time, I was working at the Gluck Center during the week, Monday through Thursday, and then on the weekend, I was working at the racetrack for the Kentucky Racing Commission. And what we did was we were uh, moving back and forth, and when there would be problems with the racehorses, it was kind of unique because we could take samples and make it right back to the Gluck Center. So it taught us that good communication was the way to go. And when the first thing started with the sponging, we thought it was a respiratory outbreak. We really did not know that somebody was trying to do something. So we went down our normal protocol. Let's swab, let's figure it out, let's observe, let's communicate. And then we finally figured out after we had scoped them a bunch of times, wait a minute, somebody's doing this. So it taught us that there can be other causes that is not infectious when you're dealing with respiratory diseases as well. So that's an aberration, but let's let's talk about for the veterinarian, you get called to a farm for a respiratory problem. What is What are you gonna do? What kind of history are you gonna take? What kind of observations are you going to make to help you with that diagnosis? So when you first talk to a farm and you get a respiratory call, normally what they're very upset about is that they've got a group of horses that have spiked a fever and then they're coughing a little bit. A lot of times, they don't know much more than that. They just know that they're not feeling well and they're doing that. So you have to get a really good history. So you start talking to the owner, you start talking to the person that's near the animal and saying, are they eating up really well? You'll look in to their buckets or where they're feeding them and you'll sometimes see three days worth of food and you're like, hey, why is this horse not eating as well? Is this one one of the ones that are coughing? No, that horse hasn't been coughing, doc. Does it clear its throat a lot? when it's sitting there with three days worth of food. 
And that's an important thing too, because many horses coming out of respiratory disease outbreaks will sometimes colic because you've given them three days worth of food. Then they start feeling better and they'll eat all their food in one sitting and you'll wonder why they've got a colic episode. It's because you've just kept putting food when they're in a malaise sense and then all of a sudden they feel better and they do it. We're very lucky in big, big farms. We clean that kind of stuff up. But in smaller farms, they may not. They might be three and four days worth of food sitting in a bucket waiting for a horse to, to eat it up. And, they, and the owners just kind of flat missed it a little bit that they're not eating as well. Many respiratory problems, they don't eat as well and the others. So you gotta get a good history and good observation. The key to it though is observing. You can't just get your history because you got to watch and talk to people. So when you're in a barn and you get called in, and uh, a lot of times it's going to be the most expensive horse in the barn that gets you called out. When you talk about observing, tell me how you step back and do this. So one of the things that I've learned with many of the outbreaks, it's a, a quick tip too, is that respiratory diseases move in quadrants and zones. So if they have one barn that's having a problem, you have to ask some specific questions like, has there been any new horses in here in the last week? Because of the incubation period of a lot of respiratory things. If they turn around and say no, then ask, has there been any changes in the barn? And they'll go, oh yeah, we had one that was really mean that we moved from that barn over there, over into here, but that's how the outbreak started because that barn is actually their receiving barn and they, they didn't know that, oh wait a minute, it's still on the farm but they've moved it and it's been in contact with horses that have done this. Uh, the other thing that you've really got to do is you've got to talk to them about um, how are you moving your animals around? When are they here? When are they going out at night? Are there dual stalls? Many farms, because they don't have as much space, the stall is being used twice a day. So there's a certain period of time that the stall is being used by the mares and foals or uh, a gelding, and then in the evening they'll have something else in there. So that makes those two fields where those two different groups go to now become kind of one, the same quadrant, because they've had a common source of a barn or a common area as it relates to other things. Those types of things are really critical to kind of work your way out of because when you do that you can then figure out where you're going to start your diagnostics. They call you out for the most expensive horse. They call you out for the horse that has the most mucoparent discharge. A lot of times if you're trying to ID the problem, it's the horse right next to it that's just starting a fever and has a clear discharge. So what I'll tell people is the secret to IDing an outbreak is really not that much of a secret. It's swabbing three or four horses instead of just swabbing the one sick animal. And your odds go way up. That's what you need to do. And you had mentioned um, a large farm one time when you were trying to solve a respiratory problem that seemed to be spreading. And, you know, trying to figure out how to manage this disease. So, you know, what, what was kind of the observations on that, that you were farm. using for that? So, one of the things when you go to a farm and they have a problem and they have a respiratory outbreak, they're already thinking they've done something wrong. Okay, either they didn't have the right vaccination right, or they moved a horse in at the wrong time, or they did anything. Guess what? I have full faith in respiratory bugs. I'm a bug guy. And sometimes the bugs win. There's nothing you did wrong. That happens. It's how you handle it and what you do from there. With the observations, you turn around and you work your way around 
trying to understand maybe why it spread more than it should have because you have a normal outbreak in a barn. Normally it takes about a week or two to kind of move through a whole barn. If it's equine flu, it can move through very quickly. And usually you don't have a whole barn of two-year-olds that are all susceptible. You have a mixed bag. So even then there's different levels of immunity and it shouldn't move through a whole barn very fast. Okay, if you do see that, you gotta start asking your question, what's different? So let's take the outbreak that just occurred in in um, England with flu. The one of the reasons that they got so worried was because older horses and younger horses were showing the same disease spread so quickly and they got really nervous because we don't typically see that. We see naive young animals or animals that have not been off the farm very often. You know, they're just different. And so you need to look at what population is getting sick and why. In the case of that farm you're describing, and Kim, it's a good one because they did everything right as it related to respiratory diseases in a pregnant mare herd. They had them all out in the field, 20 mares, 10 to 20 mares, give or take, and it was a big field, 40 acres per field. Separate water sources, separate areas. So we couldn't understand how each field was now getting sick with something. We didn't know what the respiratory problem was, but it really confused us because how did they all get it at about the same time? And how did that happen? So what we found was when we worked with it, we observed them and walked around and talked to the manager and then we talked to the grooms and we said, all right, what are you doing during the day? Are you moving them into a barn? They said, yes, they have their individual barns throughout the farm. Great, wonderful. How, what do you do at night? And they said, oh, we only have one night watch person, so we move them all into the arena. And you go, whoa, whoa, what arena? And they go, an arena that holds like close to 800 horses. We move them all into there so that we can watch them all together at one night, and we only have like three or four water sources. And you go, oh, where's that? And we went and tested that water source in those buckets, and that's right where the disease was. That's where the equine herpes was. And that's how it spread to all 800 mares so quickly. And you've also mentioned in the past about whether it's a racetrack, a, a, a training stable, a horse show grounds, where people will drop the end of the hose in a bucket. Correct. And you highly recommend that you learn <laughs> these things and pass them on to your clients to keep them from getting these diseases. That's correct. So there's some helpful tips to think about. A couple things that I've learned. One, never let the water hose go into a bucket and then go from horse to horse to horse. Now, if the horse gets upset, which some horses will get very upset when they're filling water. I don't know why that is. Some horses just hate the sound of rushing water. Take the bucket out of the stall and let them drink out of that as you're, not drink, but fill it out of the stall and then put it back in the stall and hang. If you try to do that while they're there, a lot of times you'll just let the end of the hose go down in the bucket. That, I believe, is probably one of the number one ways that a lot of these respiratory diseases are being spread. It's either through common tack, so they don't disinfect what they're putting in their mouth, so there'll be a riding stable, and it's one riding bridle that goes from five different horses with the same bit, and they never clean it, and then you wonder to yourself, wait a minute, how did that happen? And normally, if they're well vaccinated, you don't have any incoming new animals, you can get away with that. But as soon as you have a problem, then you've now transmitted it to all the riding horses and you don't understand how it got moving so quickly 
when they're all in individual stalls and they shouldn't typically do that. Um, I find equipment, dentistry equipment, us as veterinarians with endoscopes, we should clean our endoscopes. It's a pet peeve of mine. We need to do that as veterinarians. Uh, and recognize that just cleaning it, you have to have a little bit more contact time. So that's why you see a lot of the farriers now when they're doing the dental equipment, they keep them in an all the sand bucket waiting for the next thing because they're extending their contact time. It's not a matter of just dumping it in and then putting it in the mouth and go horse to horse to horse. You have to put it in and let it sit for about six minutes to get true, what you would call, uh, not true sterilization, but disinfection. Uh, a couple of tips too, so let's go through those real quick. The water hoses have to not go down in the water buckets. Any equipment, you have to do that. All your grooms, you have to be vigilant when you're walking around and get the staff to understand that many of these diseases are manageable. It's what you do with it. So, but be careful as a veterinarian, don't say it's a disease of management because you'll do what I did and I almost got thrown out of a farm. Don't do that. These are all manageable diseases. I've learned to say it differently through my years of experience and I'd recommend veterinarians do that as well because they immediately think they did something wrong. Back to the original tenant. They did nothing wrong. Okay, it's how you get out of it and how to fix it. They immediately want to know, can I go to my show? Can I go to this event? Can I go to the breeding shed? Can I do this? Well, let's figure it out and see how much is going on. And our goal as veterinarians is to get them healthy, happy, so they enjoy their whatever event, whatever they're doing. It doesn't matter to us. For us, what we should do is help them just enjoy their horses. Um, so some of the other tips. If you do have a sick horse, quarantine them. So I'm a big one for putting them into their own area for about seven to 14 days, but sometimes you can't do that with an anxious mare, filly, colt, gelding. You might have to put a buddy and you might just have to know that that buddy's gonna get sick too. There's no way of doing it because if you create too much undue stress on an animal, that in itself will make a lot of these diseases worse. Um, and, and I think people, they've come to that realization that sometimes it's okay that they know that that's going to happen and that's all right to do um, the dipping the boots and things like that help you with uh, more diarrhea and those types of diseases respiratory is not but washing your hands uh, adequately cleaning your stall before you're there and the one that drives me crazy as a tip is after each arena, don't walk your horse out and drink the common water bucket that all the 4-H kids are all drinking out of at the same location. Because now you no longer have one horse sick, you have all 400 4-H kids' horses that are sick. It's great. Everybody's doing that to be useful and easy, but you should probably take your own water bucket and let them drink out of their own water bucket. Um, when we have big outbreaks in this town, we recommend that all the mayors go with their own equipment, their own twitch, and their own water bucket to handle that. It doesn't mean that they have a problem anywhere, it's just we know if we give them their own stuff, we don't have a problem with potential spread. Um, the Most riding stables don't use lip chains or anything like that, but twitches. If you get a horse that's a really sick horse and you put a twitch on them, as veterinarians, we need to clean that. Sometimes you need to let it sit in off sand for a little bit. Because if you don't, that twitch will, will have a problem. Also, if you're using a disinfectant that's very toxic, like a phenolic that quick kills, 
you sometimes have trouble getting those off the cloth twitches and things like that. You can't get all the disinfectant off. So you have to make sure that you rinse it with enough water to get rid of that so you don't artificially scurf a nose of a horse or something like that. And as veterinarians, you all know that owners have their own little medicine chests <laughs> around the barn. Yeah. So how do you get that information sometimes out of an owner who might be a little embarrassed that they didn't call you right away and they treated the horse anyway? So how do you, how do you work around that? So it goes back to the history of good communication. You will go into a barn and they'll never admit that the horse is coughing. They'll never admit that there's a new horse and they'll never admit that they've not been current on their vaccines. So when you ask them about their current vaccines, really get a little specific that there's core vaccines and there's risk-based vaccines, but many of these respiratory problems are risk and so people need to still vaccinate for risk-based vaccines. So when they tell you they're current, probe again, ask a little bit more questions, say, okay, current was in the last six months and which ones they won't know the trade names and i i don't think we can expect our horse owners to know trade names as much you know i use this vaccine over that vaccine they just know that they vaccinated or that the veterinarian vaccinated they didn't know what it was or when it was as much so i allowed the managers the owners the riding person to not feel uncomfortable when they don't know the answer I say, hey, do me a favor, go check that out when you get a chance after today and get back to me on that as we try to figure out how to get your horses with the respiratory stuff going. That might take a little extra time and they're so excited to help you answer the question, a lot of times they don't know. And it just takes some time to go back and get their records and look it up. What you wanna do is not make the owners feel uncomfortable to be able to tell you what they're really seeing their observations, and I, I say this to all young veterinarians and I say this to many old guard veterinarians, we see the horse for 15 to 20 minutes. They see the horse every day all the time. Their observations are so much better than our observations because they see them all the time. It's just asking the right questions. So to that point, they will never admit to you that they cough. So you say, how is it when you're feeding them hay? Do they clear their throat a lot. Oh yeah, he clears his throat all the time. Does he kind of act like he's having trouble swallowing it? And they're like, yeah, I guess he really clears his throat. Well, really that's a cough. And when you watch them feed hay, they're coughing, they just don't want to admit it. Okay? It's not a, a continual cough. You know, owners, when we have allergies or things, when we cough, it's repetitive and it's usually not one. A horse sometimes will just cough just a split second after they eat a little something, clear their throat, lower their head, and then they'll move on. And you got to watch out for that because that could be a real telltale sign for you. Um, be careful too that when they do call you out, they're calling you out for the horses that might show mucopyrulent discharge. The problem is the horses that are really actively shedding that are going to spread it in your farm are the ones that have high fevers or low fevers that don't have to be that high and they have a clear discharge. They do not have a mucopyrulent. Mucopyrulent discharges a lot of times are 7 to 14 days past the actual respiratory insult. So you're behind the curve. You can miss it if you swab that horse or you try to figure it out. Okay, so we're hearing the, a lot of trust building and communication is a very important part of 
managing these respiratory diseases. Is there anything else that you would like to add on this topic? The, the only thing is don't, don't be afraid to tell them that an easy rule of thumb with respiratory. If they have a fever for a day or two, it takes that respiratory epithelial tree to heal a week per day of fever. And the reason I bring that up is because the respiratory epithelial cells take time to heal. When these viruses affect them, or strangles, and strangles not as much, but herpes viruses and flu viruses, they destroy a lot of that ciliated epithelial cells that need time to heal back. The problem is we push them into work too quickly. So they're not fully differentiated and not fully back. So if they have used antibiotics or something, they'll say, oh doc, I treated that one with sulfa and it didn't get any better. Well, that could be that the virus is still creating problems and destroying those ciliated epithelial cells. So then I show up a week and a half later and I put them right back on sulfa and somehow they get better, but it's because I have an intact respiratory tree they didn't at the time and that's why the antibiotics work better. Um, you still should always ID what the bug is, right? And you should also ID that there's seasonal effects a lot of these viruses. So we see them seasonally. We've seen, you know, herpes viruses a lot of times are showing up on a lot of the younger horses in stress and we lock up our barns in the winter and we wonder why we have herpes viruses. Well, we've locked them all down, we've gotten rid of the air and we see that. Uh, flu. A lot of times for us, the flu is, and I love to tell all of you veterinarians out there that all the flu in the world comes from Florida, because that's where all the babies come from up here in Kentucky. <laughs> they, they hate that. That's not true, by the way. What it does show you, though, is that the flu, when the babies are moving to the racetracks or they're moving up north, you're getting them stressed and you're moving them around a lot, and that's how we get flu outbreaks. Same thing with humans. If you really look, there's seasonal effects for flu and there's seasonal effects for other things. So don't be afraid to look at your local area's seasonal effects. Um, it could be allergies that make a horse have a respiratory problem. It could be infectious. It could be something unrelated. We had one farm where they fed really thistly hay because they couldn't get it. It was the middle of summer. Everything was a dry lot. They got the best hay they could, and it was full of thistle, and the horse got it all in its mouth and nose, and everything was snorting and coughing and everything, and it had nothing to do with a respiratory problem. For the first week, we thought that was influenza, and it turned out that it was actually the hay with thistle in it. So figuring this out sometimes takes time, and that's where you say all of these things are manageable. You can do this. It, it's not, you know, and I tell people a manageable disease or you did something management-wise, no. It's what you're going to do to fix this and you can work your way out of it. You did nothing wrong. When they hear that, and even when they talk to the state veterinarian's offices, our job as veterinarians that work with the state offices are to get you out of quarantine. We will start telling you how you're going to get out and how quickly you're going to get out. Too often everybody thinks they're going to be in quarantine forever and they're not. You have to talk about solutions. If you just keep talking about the problems, the poor owners are going to give up on you pretty quickly. They really will. Okay, well we thank you very much uh, for joining us today, Dr. Holland, on Equimanagement's Disease Du Jour. And we thank you for listening to our podcast. You can hear previous and future podcasts of Disease Du Jour on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. 
and we hope you will join us in the future for another episode of Disease Du Jour.